I'm Anne Parry, and um, I guess I'm the miller at Vellinganal Watermill, which is probably why we're having this conversation. <laughs> Welcome to Serial from Farmerama. This is a bonus episode featuring an extended interview with Anne Parry of Vellinganol Watermill. So Vellinganol is a 17th century watermill in West Wales in a village called Llanrusted, which is about eight miles south of Aberystwyth on the coast. The name Vellinganol in Welsh means middle mill. It's not quite as glamorous as it sounds um, if you don't speak the language. It's one of what were four water mills in the village. It hadn't worked since the 1950s, and we came to live here in 2006. My elderly mother was living close by to us, but um, was beginning to need a bit more care. So we began as a family to look for a place which had an attached cottage. And Vellinganol just happened to be on the market. And it was, um, it's got a house of about three and a half acres of woodland and garden and an attached cottage. And that's what brought us here. And the mill was like a, a bonus, really. There were just these amazing sort of buildings that looked as if they'd been closed down years ago and nothing had happened very much. But there was amazing space and a wonderful light in it and all this fascinating machinery shrouded in dust. And Yeah, but fortunately, I think the owner saw that we really liked it and would probably keep it as it was, whereas somebody else who was interested in it was going to convert the mill or was looking to convert the mill into holiday accommodation. Um, so actually, us falling in love with it worked in our favour. So 2006, we, we came here and weren't expecting to be millers at all. Why then did you decide to restore the mill? Um, again, because it, because it was there. <laughs> when we came, as I say, it hadn't worked since the 50s, and we didn't really know what we'd, what we'd done um, beyond thinking the place was interesting. The water wheel was intact but wouldn't turn, and there was an old mill pond which only filled with water when there was a flood in the river. And I say to people when I show them around the mill that, you know, you can't actually live with an empty mill pond by a river without wondering whether you can get water back into it or not. And so we kind of spent the first year playing about and damming it, damming the river a bit and getting the water back towards the sluice gate and managing to fill the pond. And then one thing kind of led to another, really. We got a full mill pond and then we looked and wondered whether we could get the water wheel to turn. And somewhere in the middle of that, Andy, my husband, took early retirement. And once the water wheel had turned, we'd got very into it by then and we're, we're just fascinated to see whether we could actually make the whole kit work again yeah so we, we had one pair of millstones working by beginning of 2009 we finally we finally got everything to turn again i think if somebody had said to us we got to get the mill working when we came we probably wouldn't have bought it because it, it seemed daunting it was only because we took that sort of step-by-step -step approach wondering what would happen next that we actually um they actually got going again really i think and did you have any experience in that kind of area before? There's a lot of serendipity involved, really. Um, Andy, he used to restore old, old cars, so he had kind of an interest, a mechanical interest, um, and a fascination with it. Um, we hadn't milled, uh, but he, he got the kit going. And I was, um, once upon a time, I, I worked in, in agricultural research and cereals research, and afterwards did quite a lot of baking. So I had quite an interest in the whole grain and baking side of it as well, and lots lots of skills and interests fed back into it. So it was quite lucky, really. But actual milling, no. We, we just we just talked to everybody we possibly could and went round every mill we possibly could and bored everybody to death about it and, and went on a very steep learning curve, really. 
And so once you'd actually embarked or once you decided this was something you wanted to do, what did that actually entail? What, what kind of work did you actually have to do? Initially, to actually just get the water wheel turning was, was a fairly mammoth task because we had to replace a massive stone bearing, which took a lot of thinking about and sorting out. And it involved a series of jacks and some complicated lifting that Andy became quite adept at. We got the bearing replaced there. And then inside, all the machinery was there. That was the good thing about restoring this mill. It had belonged to the same family for generations. So what had happened was, as the family aged, the mill had just been closed down. A lot of old mills, you lost a lot of the um, the kit because, because they were broken up and dispersed and bits sold off. But everything was there. So really what we had to do was just replace everything that was worn, and it was very worn, and do a lot of restoration of woodwork, which was worm-eaten and rotted beyond repair and certainly beyond any kind of public health consideration. So we just did that a piece at a time. One of one of our sons came back to live at home having decided that he might want to be a carpenter, so he was invaluable because he did a lot of, um, a lot of the woodwork as well with Andy. At that point, we got it to work and then we sort of had to think about what, what we meant to do with it because, I mean, so many mills are restored and, you know, so what? That, that was when we had to, we started asking ourselves a bit bigger questions about what it was all about. How did you then decide that you did want to go into production? You know, that yeah. um, mm. you didn't want to just be a sort of um, tourist attraction, I suppose, right. or a kind of curiosity, yeah. but that you actually wanted to mill flour. As I said, that, that was when we started asking, asking ourselves questions about that. Um, I mean, the, the tourist attraction thing, it's because it's, it's part of the house, well, it's, it's attached to the side of the house, and whilst it's lovely to show people it, it's not it's not robust enough or big enough to take a constant stream of tourists, um, and we didn't really want to share our home in that way. We like to show them the mill, but we didn't we didn't want we didn't want to start a, a, a job just showing people around the mill. But it fitted so much with with kind of sort of yeah, just the whole, the whole ethic of it. It seemed it seemed to me that I, I've been around lots of old mills and. People are thrilled that the machinery works, um, and so they'll put any old wheat through and produce a powder with it, and that's that's it. <laughs> and, and I felt that, that if, if, if the mill had anything to give to people, and if stone milling was as good as it was supposed to be, then we ought to be able to produce decent flour. So that was really when I, I, I kind of took over from Andy a bit there and started chasing about different wheats and thinking about the milling properly and thinking that it actually needed to it needed to at least earn its keep a little bit because you know we'd, we'd not had any funding to to restore it so we needed to, needed it to at least sell a bit of flour. Could you tell me a bit actually about that process then of of researching the grain and deciding where to source from? You mentioned you have a bit of a background in that area well, yeah, yeah. So, so as, as I said, I, I worked. Um, I worked as a, ser- a, a cereal pathologist. It sounds really weird. Cereal, as in grain, as in grains. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I looked at. I looked at grain diseases. So I had quite and and had always been interested in organic growing and all that kind of thing. So, so I had that sort of background. And then over the years, I've done a lot of baking as well. I'm of the generation in the 1970s where we all. Um, we all clutched our Tassahara bread books and, and, and did a lot of whole food and organic things. So, yeah, I was, yeah, I, I was kind of, I knew where I was looking for, for the sorts of things I wanted to do. Yeah, initially, because we'd never milled before, the first thing we did, besides being determined that we were going to mill organic grain, was to buy just what we understood to be decent milling wheat because when we did produce flour, I didn't want it to be the wheat's fault. I want, if, it was, if it didn't work well, it had to be our, our technique that, that needed improving. So we just went to an organic grain merchant and bought and bought straight milling wheat, which we were told performed well. 
and when we when we kind of got to grips with that our ambition was to do what the mill always did which was to to mill locally grown grains and that was kind of when I came up against a dead halt because um, the idea of growing anything that might be decent milling wheat in West Wales has long been forgotten really people just assume that it's wet that the fields are small that any kind of wheat that you grew wouldn't be up to it and any farmers who do grow they grow for feed wheat. They re they they rarely think that their grain meets milling specifications, so um, it wasn't as straightforward as I'd hoped initially. What we have got here, besides the mill being fascinating, is that we've got the old day books, which show all the farmers in the area because it was a tithe mill, bringing their grain in to be milled, and a hundred years ago, every farm in the area was growing wheat and was bringing it to be milled. So I mean, it's not. Either people's tastes have changed radically and they were prepared to eat rubbish bread or we needed to rethink the kind of grain that we were assuming was good milling wheat. And all these thoughts were chiming in very much. I mean, over the last 10 years, this is, you know, it's the zeitgeist really, isn't it? That's exactly what people have been looking at and thinking. So I was, I, we were in a very good position really to, to actually watch and see what other people were doing in them and, and, and explore all this a bit more. Fortunately, both Andy and I, before I at work with raising the family we, we'd worked at what used to be called the welsh plant breeding station but it's part of Aberystwyth university it's called ibers now institute of biological environmental research and um we still we still had lots of connections there and we persuaded them to be sufficiently interested to grow a couple of acres on their organic land of wheat which we could just try milling with so 2010 i think nine ten they put in a modern a modern spring wheat and harvested it and dried it for us and it wouldn't have met any milling specifications as far as a big mill was concerned but it was clean and wholesome and we milled it and it produced a really nice flour it didn't rise hugely but it had a wonderful aroma and really good taste and we managed to market them that locally as a local flower, which, as I say, because because people had this idea you couldn't grow wheat locally, we, we, people were thrilled about. That gave us a bit of confidence then to start to start talking to people and, and, and talking to other farmers and looking to see what we could do. And it's been that steady build-up then of people getting together. And the more people we've met, you know, it, it knocks on. So that this year, 10 years since we've been milling and selling flour, our neighbouring farmer, just a couple of hundred yards up the road, he came to us in the autumn and he said, well, I've done it then, it's in for you. And he's actually put a field in of winter wheat. So we will all be well this autumn. We will be mill literally milling hyperlocal wheat, which is um, really quite exciting. Cereal is possible thanks to generous support from the Roddick Foundation. Subscribe to Farmerama to hear the rest of the series. You can find us on your favourite podcast app, on SoundCloud, or at farmerama.co. If you enjoy the series, please do spread the word. And if you'd like to support Farmerama, visit patreon.com forward slash farmerama. Serial is produced and edited by me, Katie Ravel, with Abby Rose and Joe Barrett. Susie McCarthy and Hannah Sutherland also worked on the series. Our theme music is by Owen Barrett. A huge personal thank you to everyone who's helped make and share cereal.